Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to sen.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a very exciting guest with us today. You know, a guest that is going to tell us, you know, how we got started. You know, working in the Matrix movies, and then from there, really building, scaling, uh, financing, all the above when it comes to you know running a hyper growth company. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Board Anders Cassin. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's talk about growing up, you know, in Norway, you know, in a small town there. You know, give us a walk through memory lane. How was, how was life growing up? Uh, it was pretty good. So uh, I grew up in a, in a small town called Nuttholm, which is like uh, about 13,000 people. So not very big, but uh, at least for me, it felt like an awesome place to, to grow up. And it has a really strong heritage when it comes to creating companies that have uh, really impacted the world. So uh, it was uh, quite an inspirational place, actually, to, to grow up. And how did you get into the whole uh, 3D graphics? Yeah, so when I uh, when I was in, I guess it's high school, uh, when I was 15, I, I got a job at this internet service provider because basically back then, nobody wanted to die long distance to, to get on the internet. So uh, every small city had their own like little uh, internet service provider. So uh, I learned how to run the, the systems and Eventually, I downloaded this 3D program that I found for Linux. And this was like just after, you know, Jurassic Park had uh, come out. So uh, nobody was really doing it. And then um, one day, uh, the CEO of this bigger industrial company that had their kind of test facilities next door, he saw me uh, fiddling around with this Apache helicopter that I had built in 3D. And he asked me, like, would it be possible to use this technology to visualize kind of our factories around the world and things like that? And then I was 16 and I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I can do that. So basically, they, uh, they hired me to do that. Um, and uh, that's how I started doing kind of 3D professionally. Uh, so I was working uh, you know, right after school every day. Uh, I went to school, got, uh, got to work about 2 p.m. Or, or 4 p.m. and then worked until midnight just about every day uh, throughout uh, high school. Now, very cool that uh, at the age of uh, 16, I mean, literally when you're in the teenage years, you're even being recommended to, you know, a big, big uh, franchise like Warner Brothers. I mean, how, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah, that was that's an interesting story. So so basically, when I was working for this uh, industrial company, I had to, at some point, I had to upgrade the, the computer I was working on. And 
back then, you know, it was super expensive to use this type of computers. It was a silicon graphics computer. And it was kind of out of reach for me. It cost about like $100,000. Um, but then I made this agreement with them that because they had these service agreements with silicon graphics because they had several uh, where you would get replaced hardware and whatnot. So I ended up finding one in Canada. Uh, from I think it was Coca-Cola's uh, ad agency where they had one with a broken graphics card that were they were selling it for seven thousand dollars. That was still like way out of reach for a for a sixteen year old kid. But um, I went to the bank and I said I have a job. I have this agreement. They they pay me. Uh, I made the agreement with them that they would cover the support agreement. I, I called Silicon Graphics and I said if I buy this, will you guys basically replace the the graphics card? And they were like, yeah, no problem. Uh, so I uh, took a loan of $7,000. I bought the computer. Uh, they paid for the um, service agreement. And I got a new graphics card. And I had a computer that was worth $100,000 that I basically paid $7,000 for. Um, and uh, you know, the guys at Silicon Graphics, they thought it was kind of funny because they had about three clients or something in Norway where everybody was like a big billion-dollar oil company. And then this kid who's 16 year old. Uh, so that became a little bit of a talk, I think, internally. And eventually they actually ended up sending an a official recommendation letter on behalf of Silicon Graphics to Warner Brothers uh, that they should hire me when I would, I'd gotten a little bit older when I was 21, when they were looking for people for the Matrix movies. And, and uh, of course, that uh, helped a lot. So then how do you go from just being in Norway to all of a sudden you know, working for, for this amazing movie in the U.S.? Yeah, so uh, I moved to San Francisco, uh, and uh, that was super exciting for me. Of course, this was my big dream and, and my passion, and uh, uh, you know, getting to work with the best people in the world, basically. So, um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I came there, and um, and it was really, what should we say, uh, it was an amazing experience. But then I also saw, um, you know, games technology being used for the very first time. Uh, in, in movie productions and kind of this created the, what should we say, inspiration for me that, you know, at one time it's going to be possible to, to actually do the things that we were doing in the movies with, you know, like amazing visual effects and graphics, but they would take like, you know, 10,000 computers a week to render sometimes. But I saw that, you know, at some point it's going to be possible to do that real time. And then imagine if you can combine it with the interactivity of games, uh, you know, what type of experiences you could create from there. So, so basically then, from there on, like in every project I did, I tried to incorporate that type of thinking and build out kind of those core building blocks that would enable that one day. So for the next 20 years, probably, I, I spent my time like trying to, to push the boundaries on how to do that. Uh, and up until the point where we are now, where we are actually doing it. And now in terms of like um, working in the Matrix movies, I mean, uh, how was that? Because I, I'm sure that you are friends back home were like freaking out you know? like yeah. here's our friend you know they are working on this unbelievable like blockbuster movie with like keanu reeves i mean that that's insane i mean come on yeah that was amazing for me at least like i was i think it was 21 when i moved over so it was uh it was very surreal felt like i was kind of living inside the dream in a way because it that has that had been kind of the thing that i was dreaming of uh and uh yeah it was uh it was really awesome so, so for how long were you doing that? And, and then at what point do you realize that it's time to head back home? Yeah, I was in San Francisco a little bit like on and off for about two years. So usually like for three to four months at a time. And then I was back home a little while. Um, so before I, I decided that, you know, now I'm, I want to pursue kind of the dream I have 
So uh, that's when I kind of moved back to my um, to my hometown again to to work on kind of different projects for a while. And obviously, Portal One, what you're doing now is you know has has been incubating and 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 obviously is the result of you getting started with Future Grip first. So tell us about Future Grip. I mean, how did you you know, come, you know, upon the idea and, and at what point do you realize, hey, you know, I, I think it makes sense for me to to take a look at, at doing this thing. Yeah, so, um, so I, as I mentioned, like I was in every project that I was doing, I was incorporating this kind of um, live 3D graphics type of production. Uh, and I was starting to 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 work on, on several TV shows and, and exploring like how, come, how can we use tech, technology basically to push the boundaries and, and do new things. So through that process, I was kind of started to define a, a, a vision of what I was trying to do. And uh, I came to the point where I um, wanted to, to make that come real. And I needed partners, uh, needed the right people to help me. Kind of, I did not have any experience at that point with like financing or funding, th- those types of things. Um, so I, uh, I, I um, was introduced to a, a financial uh, a guy in the financial world uh, here in Norway. That became my partner, uh, and we basically set out to to create the the, the first company, the uh, Future Group, where we were focusing on kind of what we called interactive mixed reality, which is basically like you know pushing the boundaries of TV, adding that interactive element with the virtual graphics, and being able to to be fully what to say immersed into a TV show. So we built out the technology to do that. Uh, it didn't exist at the time, so we really had to really push the boundaries and develop a lot of the things that you know today is really taken for granted there's many great solutions and it's a lot easier to do now but back then it hadn't been done before so it was a pretty big effort but we were able to do it and we launched the first uh, like the world's first um, uh, interactive mixed reality show um, on tv and uh, it allowed us to really really learn a lot on like what works what doesn't uh, crack the code on how to do it and and there was a it was a really great learning process. And of course, we, we were able to push the boundaries on what's possible to do. Because, I mean, at what point do you realize, you know, you're pushing here with Future Grip, and then you realize that you, you need to think about taking a different approach. I mean, what, 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 what caused that? So we came to a point where we had to make a decision on, are you going to focus on B2B or B2C, basically? Uh, so, you know, are you going after licensing the technology to studios, which can be really exciting, or are you going after the, you know, the, the what should I say, more like entertainment platform type of direction where you're going after the, the B2C, uh, like users, basically. Um, and we had some really great investors, uh, but in Norway, when we started here, we raised from, you know, mainly like what you have in Norway, which is oil and gas type of investors, uh, which can be really great. but um, of course, they their experience lies in that uh, more like uh, say B two B type of approach. So basically, what we concluded on was that you know, okay, let's uh, focus on B two B for Future Group that they could license the technology and and uh, and focus on that. While we were kind of then free to to, to go on and and do the B two C, what you say, uh, run that we did. So so we founded Portal One in in 2018 with the aim of building a social entertainment platform basically um and you know we had a lot of experience we knew what worked what didn't uh, and um uh, it allowed us to really like just 
really like hit the ground running. Uh, we had great investors from day one, and and uh, it was a yeah, it was a really really good start. Now we'll we'll talk about Portal One in just one second here, but with Future Grip, what you ended up doing is licensing, you know, the the technology. Yeah. So so how do you go about that? I mean, there's probably a lot of people here, you know, that are listening, you know, on 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 what you're saying and. And they're maybe like wondering, like, hey, how did board, you know, go about licensing and, and, and leaving that on autopilot kind of thing? The licensing part is basically partnering with, you know, with uh, studios around the world. So uh, working with great partners and, and, and kind of using those channels. So, um, of course, that was something that was done after I left the company. So they did a, a really great uh, job on kind of converting to the B2B type of direction. And, you know, to doubt, today it's, powering everything from like Super Bowl to League of Legends, the World Championship, you know, CCTV, the biggest broadcaster in China, to the Weather Channel, um, in this immersive weather forecast where they're put into like hurricanes and tornadoes and things like that uh, live on TV. So it, it's been like really just uh, being adapted really well. And, and uh, today, you know, that name is, um, uh, the branding was changed to, it's, it's called Pixotope now. So uh, that's the name of the product. Um, uh, and it's been, uh, yeah, it's been going really, really well. Now, uh, as you were saying, I mean, one thing led to the next. And obviously, this 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 led you to really starting Portal 1. Now, Portal 1, for the people that are listening to to get it, what is the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so, so what we're doing is we've launched a new category of entertainment that we call hybrid games. Uh, and what I mean is that we're combining games uh, with shows and prices. So basically taking the strengths of the games industry and combining that with the strengths of the TV industry. So we have these daily tournaments where you, you play um, different games in the platform. And then every tournament ends with the show as the final of the tournament. And then in the, in the, in the show, we're, we have real physical people coming in who are challenged in today's game. They are placed into the game as a real person. So when you play it on mobile, you basically see this real live person running inside your game playing the round and then you try to beat them and and if you do you know we're giving out rewards and then we basically kickstart the next daily tournament um so and in these tournaments you're spending tokens every time you're playing around uh, and of course eventually you're going to run out of tokens and then basically you have to get more so it's the same model that pokemon go uses for example where you know you're using pokeballs to catch a pokemon you will run out then you get more and you can get more for free of course if you just go to a pokestop or whatnot uh, but then you can also do you know buy more uh, or you can do a season pass where you're getting regular refills things like that so it's the same type of free to play uh, monetization model that you know most games use today on, on mobile and you were saying that uh, you know day one i mean you, you you guys were all already you know like with the whole financing you know like uh, in place i mean you had the investors there lining up so so how much capital have you guys raised today so so far it's uh, 75 million dollars that we've raised in new money to the company now, you know, that's pretty impressive for, you know, you guys got started like around 2018. I mean, you, you've done a Series A, I mean, a pretty large Series A. I mean, how, how big was the Series A? Uh, it was $60 million. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a good outcome. I mean, Series A is, is a massive uh, Series A. I mean, probably there's a lot of people that are listening that are more used to like the 5 to 15, you know, Series A. So typically when when... When you have a number and the investors are putting a number in, you know, it's uh, because they they see that it makes sense for the strategic roadmap to get that type of capital. So, so what would you say, you know, uh, makes you know a company like Portal One, 
um, you know, so well positioned for that, you know, amount of, of capital mm. to be deployed? I think, you know, most investors uh, or a lot, a lot, uh, at least a lot of investors, they're looking at something that can define a category where you can basically establish a new category and, and kind of define that. And that's what we've done with hybrid games, because we are the only ones in the world who does hybrid games. It, it uh, didn't exist before we, we started with it. So, so we have a big head start in that. And uh, of course, when you have a head start, it, it uh, is good to, to keep that position and basically take advantage of it. Because I think most see that hybrid games is going to be a very big part of next generation type of entertainment. So uh, for us, this is very similar to, you know, like with Netflix, for example, like if you have one show versus a thousand shows, it makes a very big difference on the, on the product that you're offering. So for us, you know, we're, we're building a destination for hybrid games. So the name kind of says it, you know, Portal 1, one portal. Uh, so um, we have three games today. We're launching the fourth one now in just a few weeks. But then we will be adding just constantly like new games to both original games that we develop ourselves through partnerships where we do uh, IP collaborations and then also uh, eventually enabling third-party producers to produce new games into the platform so that we can super scale kind of the, the amount of content in the platform. And that's really the, 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 uh, the stage that we are in now is more like scaling it from being a game in a way to becoming a platform uh, or the destination for games where you go to Portal 1 to basically find different types of games that you want to play. And that's one of the things that we see as well is that the users are playing multiple games basically daily. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone it's super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And for the people that are not so savvy on gaming, how would you define hybrid game? Yeah, so the, it's basically a hybrid between games and TV. That's the 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 kind of the, the, the way it works, where we use the TV component as an accelerator in the game design. So basically, the TV show that runs is the final of the tournament, and that TV show runs inside the game. So it's not like a second screen experience or something you watch on a TV uh, broadcaster. It's completely embedded, and it's a completely seamless part of the gaming experience. 
So, so that's why we call this a hybrid, because it basically is a hybrid between games and TV. And when you're building a company like this, what would you say is the most challenging? I mean, would you say is the staffing, you know, part of it, like getting the right type of talent with the engineering skills to develop this? Or what, what are the areas that you were the most concerned about when you were, and also that you're the most concerned about as you're thinking about deploying all this money that you've raised? Yeah, so, yeah. so, so uh, staffing is really challenging for the types of productions that we do because we, we use the Unreal Engine to generate the graphics and build the, en- uh, the games upon, which is a fantastic game engine, uh, you know, by Epic Games who, who make Fortnite, of course. And, um, and it's very, very powerful. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it took off, like uh, starting to be a few years ago now, but there's a, basically a delay in terms of talent that, has to kind of train and get really good at it. Uh, so especially if you're in stealth mode that we were, you know, for at least two and a half years where nobody even knows your name, then, you know, then it, it, you, you're not making it easy for yourself uh, to recruit. <laughs> so uh, so finding really great and real engine developers can be challenging. Uh, but we've been super fortunate. So the ones we have are, you know, exceptional, and uh, 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 that's really great. But it's it, that is always the the big challenge is finding very very talented uh, game engine developers. Now, just going back to to the last thing, I mean, there's there's a on the investments. I mean, you guys are out of Norway. Uh, you've raised a ton of money for being an early stage company. This is not normal, you know, being in Norway. So, how the hell did you manage to do that? And then also, I mean, obviously. Attracting talent also is a big one. So, how do you go about doing that? You know, when you're in Norway. Yeah. So uh, we um, basically throughout uh, the work that we did in the future group, we were, um, you know, we were meeting a lot of investors and building good relationships. And one of them was uh, Founders Fund with, uh, you know, with uh, Peter Thiel and 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 those guys. And um, we were kind of having continuous conversations with them. And when they heard that we were starting a new company, they were like, oh. So we missed out on the previous one, but what are you guys doing now? Uh, and uh, and they had seen what we have done before. Um, I think we we had a lot of good references from the industry in general, and and they were excited about you know the thing that we were going to build. So so we were super fortunate to have Founders Fund as the first investor that we took on board. And of course, it it, it helps to have uh, one of the most highly regarded you know VCs um, as your first investor. Uh, so, and with them, when they came on board, um, basically, you know, throughout the first year, they were like observing what we were doing and, and being very helpful. And, and throughout that year, they saw a lot of progress. So out of that, you start to build trust that, you know, hey, you're actually delivering on what you're saying and promising. And uh, so they started to recommend this to others, like, you know, uh, bringing in others and, and you should really look at this. And then we took in some more and then. They had the same process where we showed them what we were going to do, and then we delivered on that, uh, and we showed that we had really, really good progress. And then we kind of built a relationship of trust with them as well, that they saw that we were delivering on what we were saying. Uh, And then we did that again. Uh, And then through that, you start to get a group of people that get really excited about what you're doing, that kind of start to like let other people know that, you know, Portal 1 is actually delivering on what they're promising. Uh, and that becomes very powerful. Uh, and then that started to spread. And by the time we got to the Series A, you know, then we had gone through everything from the prototyping stage and the concept phase to building out the platform. Uh, we were able to do full live TV shows during the Zoom presentations. And of course, 
because of Corona, everybody was on Zoom. Uh, so that was perfect because then we could just basically do a live TV show where I was you know, jumping into the games, playing them live during the, the presentation. Uh, and then you basically get to see the full product right in front of you. So you don't have to do any guesswork of do you believe in this or not. Uh, so, so by the time we did the Series A, you know, just about everyone almost that we were speaking to were had already heard a lot about us from before and talked to a lot of the investors. So then it became a very efficient process. And that really, you know, we, we just saw that we could expand it quite a lot because the, the seed extension got oversubscribed by five times the size of the round. Uh, so it was like quite heavily oversubscribed. And then we ended up in the same position with the Series A. So, uh, and then it made sense because, you know, one thing was that uh, people have been talking about the potential recession, for example, for several years. So, and we knew exactly what we were going to do. So it made sense for us to take in kind of a, a little bit of a bigger amount of money to be able to basically do all the things that we had in the pipeline that we knew we were going to do anyway. And I, I heard you say the word uh, trust, you know, a few times. And I think that that's... Um very powerful and, and, and critical thing to have in place, you know, with investors. But what have you learned? You know, I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening that are thinking about raising money too, building their relationship with their investors. What have you learned about building trust? How do you go about doing that with existing investors so that they can reinvest down the line? And then also with future investors that are looking at investing in your business? So basically what we did was that, you know, we, um, every time we, we met with an investor, we talked about where we were and we showed them the progress of the product. But then, um, you know, before we were raising more money, you know, we would catch up regularly. And, and uh, with some of them, for example, we, we met them. At one point we showed the state of the product, then we would catch up in like, let's say, four months and they would see the progress. Uh, and they would be like, wow, that's really good progress since last time we spoke. And, and that started becoming something that were happening like regularly because we, we were ha having good progress. And, uh, and of course, for them, then they would see that, you know, we are delivering on the things that we are saying. So both for the investors that were already in, they were seeing that, of course, constantly, but also the ones that we were just in dialogue with. So, so then when we eventually got to, to the Series A, you know, that then uh, a lot of them had followed the progress uh, uh, for quite some time. And, and been seeing that, been talking to the other investors uh, on board, and and uh, could really get a, like a good sense of, of the fact that we were uh, delivering on on the things that we were saying. But at the same time, we were never making promises of like what's um, you say the the state of the um, the growth going to be or anything like that. We're just focusing entirely on making a good product and, and showing the progress of the product. And in terms of now, the um, I mean, you, you've alluded to it, you know, like how you guys are thinking about like really building this and transitioning this into more of a platform, you know, that, that got me thinking. And, and if you were to go to sleep tonight, Ebord, and, and, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Portal 1 is, is fully realized, what, what does that world look like? It's a little bit hard to define because it's... Uh... You know, the things that you can't see yet are sometimes hard to describe. But at least for us, you know, that would be a, a living platform that has, you know, hundreds or even thousands of games on it, eventually, where people are playing with their friends, um, uh, moving seamlessly between games, uh, going from one game to the other, and just like being social, enjoying kind of all the entertainment and social experiences that you usually do, but in 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 one integrated experience. So. 
games, TV, and social as one seamless experience, and also uh, being able to access it from any device. Because that's also one of the things that's quite cool with with this platform is that uh, you know we're we're doing it on mobile now. But then we also in the studio we're doing the studio version, which is something that would you would also be able to access on the PlayStation or Xbox, for example, like a console, the more like high-end graphics version. Uh, but then we also have a VR version, which is basically what the guests are using when they are being immersed into the game so that you can see them in there. Uh, so eventually, you know, we, we will release these different types of experiences so that you can access this from any device. And that's one of the things that we've learned is how to, to create experiences where you can play against each other evenly if even if you are on different devices. So Imagine sitting on the bus on your way to school or to work, you know, playing on mobile, uh, coming home, putting it up on your PlayStation or Xbox, playing it more in the on the on the big screen, and then maybe even putting it on VR goggles eventually and being fully immersed in the game. And then, you know, an example I like to use is uh, uh, with the driving game, for example, that we're launching now uh, in a few weeks. Uh, Imagine, you know, putting on VR goggles and then you're looking to the left and then you see the, a real physical person sitting in that uh, car, which is the guest of the show. It could be Justin Bieber, for example. But then you look to the right and you see all your friends sitting in the cars around you as their avatars and you're all sharing the same experience. And one might be playing it in VR, one might be on the console, one might be on mobile, but you're all in one shared experience. And that's basically the platform that we have built now uh, and what it enables. Wow. Now, like so much different from the games that I used to play. So, uh, so kind of jealous eh, that you guys were not around, you know, when I was growing up. But, but the, um, the other thing that, that I wanted to ask you, I mean, you guys have been at it now for, for a while. I mean, you've been an entrepreneur since uh, 2013, you know, uh, and obviously incubating this, this thought for some time. But you have the opportunity to go back in time and, and have a chat with your younger self. With that younger board, you know, that was, you know, thinking about maybe starting a company and, and going at it on your own. If you could just, and let's say that yeah, that younger self would listen, because as yeah. when we're young, we, we don't listen. But let's say that you were actually listening and you could give that younger board one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, that's a very good question. And one thing that comes to mind, like one thing is I, I would not want to not do the things I've done because that's the thing that has allowed me to learn. So, of course, you have to you have to run into the wall a few times. You have to bang your head and you have to right. fail and you have to learn and you have to do, do all of those things. But I guess one of the things that have, at least in my experience, often led to things not working out has been when I have not trusted my own intuition. So uh, often like sitting in conversations where you have an internal feeling that this is the way we should do it, but then you have someone who is more senior, for example, in a certain area that might not be covering the total area of what you're doing, but the, but the smaller one saying that, no, we have to do it like that this way. Uh, it's been surprising the amount of times that I've experienced that, oh, I should have got, gone with my gut feeling because that was what we ended up doing eventually. And that's not because I know everything but it's just that if you're the one focusing entirely on the vision of what you're doing you're probably the one that goes into the most areas of you know how all of these different areas are connected in a way this for me that's been one of the things that i've learned is you know be more kind of self-confident in trusting your intuition or the vision that you're building uh, because you're probably the one that has thought about it the most but then also always listen to good advice of course because 
uh, I think that's also one of the things that is key to success. And, and uh, for us, you know, we try to always listen to to, to great advice. Uh, that's why we try to bring you know, like as many smart people around us as possible together. Uh, but then at the end of the day, when you feel that you've been able to extract all of that knowledge, then this for me, it's been like have the courage to then believe in the conclusion that you feel is is right, and and don't let others push you in another direction if you're the one that is responsible for kind of taking that mission forward. I love it. Very profound board. So for the people that are listening uh, that want to get in touch and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Probably on LinkedIn, even though uh, I have to admit that I'm. Uh, uh, it takes a while to process it. Uh, maybe the best way would maybe be to, to send an email to hello at portal1.com. That's the best way, actually, because uh, then uh, someone uh, who is more capable of following up will uh, take charge of that. Amazing. Well, Bord, really appreciate it. Very profound, you know, and, and great inspiration here. Thank you so, so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you so much for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.